Blues fans, for almost two years, you have listened and supported your favorite podcast. Now it's time to get loud and get ready to make some noise tonight, because it's time for the Chirp Podcast. And we're back. I'm back. Let's go. Episode 55 of the Chirp Podcast. Kels on the mic. What's over to Mark? Mark, how we doing, boss? What's going on, fellas? Roller season is officially over. Pretty, yeah, facts. Pretty, uh, pretty successful summer though for the fellas. Not too shabby, not too shabby. But uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Sammy K, obviously not too happy about roller season ending. How we doing? Yeah, I'm not happy about it, but uh, I can say my brain is officially melted from last night watching Food Fighters and Dave Grohl. <laughs> Just being absolutely everywhere. That's exactly what I needed after a long roller uh, summer. So uh, it worked out. It worked out. And and it sufficed pretty well. So I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, I actually, you brought both brought up the two things that I was going to actually talk about uh, at the end of the show. So, hey, maybe fucking do something here. But we got news in the loop. We have a big guest today. John Kelly, Blues play-by-play announcer. Heard of him. Uh, and then... Afterwards, we can uh, maybe, I don't know, five, ten minutes on State Wars this past weekend. Uh, it was pretty decent. I was there for a lot of it, so let's go. Anyways, it is episode 55. Do we have a, a number, boys? Oh, a yeah. Player, I should say. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Mark Shifley. Rasmus Tristelainen. Or Joe Fortnite. Or Joe <laughs> Sam, uh, we just did our college one. We hit 83. I said rookie Joe Dice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. People forget he was 83. They do. That's a good one. You know who wore it before him was Kojo. Do you remember really? Kojo? Yes, I remember him. Oh, that boy. <laughs> so, Dice wanted to switch for obvious reasons. <laughs> Finally got his, <laughs> got his number come sophomore year, big 47. Um, no, 55. I'm thinking He's of thinking other guys. Anthony Erase. I'm thinking of Anthony. I'm an idiot. <laughs> They're pretty much the same fucking person nowadays. Uh, <laughs> Dice had to get his Ben Eager number, so there we go. You know what? Whenever we, I saw 55, I was like, who's 55? I, I, I was like, Jason Amers. <laughs> I'm not gonna say Jason Demers, so we're just we'll just stick with Shifley. <laughs> I'm just not gonna say Jason. Uh, yeah, I almost said Cam Jansen too. I figured one of you would say it though, so I was like, yeah, yeah I'll go I had to go wall. Cam. I had to go Cam. Anyways, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we talked. Uh, we have some news in the loo here. The big one. We'll just stick in chronological order, I guess. There's two big ones, but this is probably the biggest one. Um, Blues trade. Playoff Sammy Blay. Fuck. In a second. But we get Pavel Buchnevich out of it. He did end up signing a four-year deal uh, worth $23.2 million. So 5.8 a year. What do we think about this, boys? Hell of a deal. Doug, Doug might have done it again. That uh, sucks. And this one out of the guys that we've moved, low-key might hurt the worst, to be honest. It's playoff Sammy Blay. He bangs. But, I mean, this guy, I mean, he's 
past two years, 46 points, 48 points. I think he had one power play goal last year, and that was it. Everything else was five on five, so this guy can absolutely play in the top six and score night in, night out, so I love it. My original thinking of the deal was that it definitely sucks losing our fan favorite, uh, Sammy Blay, like because we all just absolutely love Sammy Blay and the way he and the way he plays and shows out in playoffs. But for what you give up to get a guy like Buchnevich, like this deal really can't hurt you. And especially after seeing the term that we got him on for the four years and only the five point eight a year. I mean, this this is just a win all around. Doug knew exactly what he was doing and uh, I think Blues fans are really going to end up liking this guy. He's going to become a fan favorite. So I was reading, uh, obviously I like the deal as well. I was reading a little bit. I didn't read all of it, just the beginning of JR's story about Buchnevich and Saad that he put on the athletic end. Uh, so one, the the I think this guy's nickname is Captain Happy. That's what like the Rangers fans called him. I don't know. So I guess he's a fucking beauty of a teammate. So that's Big good. guy, maybe. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing. But that was not in the article. What was in there was two things. One, when David Quinn got fired, Jr. said that, or David Qu- Quinn told Jr. like he was the guy that like reached out and checked on me the most after, which is weird. I mean, he was a young kid. He was, uh, he got fired in May. So, I mean, he's 26 now, but when Quinn took over, he was 23. And in the article, it says that he even at first they butted heads, you know, a lot. And he thinks that even that there was a trade request put in by Buchnevich in that first year. And it obviously never was fulfilled, but uh, pretty cool to see that kind of come full circle. And then the last three years under David Quinn, he's only gotten better. He's about a half point per game and then two thirds uh, point per game. And then now this past year, he was almost a, a full point per game. It's 20 goals, uh, over 20 goals, two of the last three years. So, I mean, you got to think even with last year being a shortened season, 48 points is unbelievable because he played in 54 hockey games. So yes, and tw- and 20 bad. goals over 54 games tack on another pretty much 30 of it. You're looking 25, 30 goal range there. Uh, and you know, I, we are about to lose a, a 25 to 35 goal scorer. It's just a matter of time. So uh, this guy's 26, six, three, 200 pounds, big winger. So hopefully, uh, he'll fill in nicely. Speaking of bigger, I guess big, I don't know. Yeah. Bigger wingers, Brandon sod five-year deal with the blues. This feels weird saying, but five-year deal with the blues, 22 and a half million, it's four and a half million on the AAV. What do we think about this, uh, boys? This is kind of weird associating him with the Blues, obviously, but uh, we'll have to get used to it for the next five years. I mean, I wasn't too, and I'm not. I'm just not the biggest Brandon Sod guy to begin with. I don't know. He just seems like just a greasy third line guy. That's like you'll get maybe 15 goals out of a year, which I mean, hey, is decent. But I don't know. I just wasn't too in on him at first because I safely assumed that his price would be very similar to Jade Schwartz's price, and it just wasn't. Uh, I mean, signed him for 4.5 AAV, so, I mean, I'm super chilling with that at that value. Uh, and if you look at, like, comparing him to, since I just brought up Schwartz, if you compare Schwartz and Saad, their offensive, like, numbers over the past, like, three years uh, from uh, JR's tweet uh, whenever the signing broke, Schwartz, 180 games, 41 goals, 114 points. Saad, 182 games, 59 goals, 104 points. 
in the playoffs, 88 games for Schwartz, 54 points. Saad, 91 games, 50 points. So damn near the same offensive production, and Saad plays a greasier game than Schwartz does. Probably doesn't skate as well as Schwartz does, but I think we're, I think overall, a little, little more grit added to the lineup and a lot less logos hit. So, I will add on to that, Marky. I think a lot of Blues fans might look at Brandon Saad's numbers and be like, ah, I mean, he kind of does have the same numbers as Jaden Schwartz and like, why wouldn't we just sign Schwartz? And like, obviously the money makes sense because we're getting Saad on a cheaper deal, but I can make the argument that Saad hasn't had the same opportunities as Schwartz because Schwartz has been in the top six, a bonafide top six player for the St. Louis Blues. And meanwhile, the past couple seasons, Brandon Saad's been with Colorado and he's kind of been stuck on the third line there. So he hasn't been able to play with the top end talent that Jaden Schwartz has. And so maybe if we're able to pair up Brandon Saad with uh, some some compatible line mates, I think his numbers could actually uh, improve. And this guy, he kind of just feels like he's going to play blue style hockey. I know that that saying's kind of getting old because we're kind of trying to uh, turn the corner on blue style hockey and kind of shift into a, a more skilled way to play puck. But I mean, this guy, you can't hate acquiring a player at this uh, uh, annual uh, value. Uh, a guy like that who just shoots the puck at all times. And so to me, I thought it was a great deal. Uh, Putting him with probably 90 in DP, uh, that's going to be a beautiful first line if that's the route we choose to take. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering, whether Bushnevich or Saad will be on that top line. It'll be one of the two probably. Uh, and then the other one will play with uh, probably Shen and Kairou. Um, so. I think Bushnevich would pair up a little better with uh, Shen and Kairou. I was saying the same thing. Have Saad yeah. play that real – like, I mean, 90 already plays a greasy role, but he does he does a lot more just get greasy. And, like, you yeah. can have Saad just, Look, yeah, bang away in the corners and then go sit back door. Look at what Zach Sanford can do on 90 and Perron's line. You throw a guy like – He's actually good. Uh, yeah, look <laughs> yeah, at Brandon Saad and then throw player. him up there. You never know what could happen. The sky's the limit <laughs> what that line could potentially be. A guy who's actually should be playing there versus yes. a guy that, you know, Just could stop. be Let's throw or should there. be playing eight and a half a night if he's <laughs> in the lineup. Uh, no, I, I obviously like this, the sod deal. My thing uh, with this deal is that if it wasn't him, I have no idea who would who it would have been. So uh, yeah. we, we lost out on Mike Hoffman at this same AAV, which is a little weird to me. Um, and three years is what he accepted with Montreal. And the word is, uh, on Twitter that I've seen is that money was more in Montreal. There was more money in Montreal, three years, four and a half million more money in Montreal for a, a bona fide goal scorer. So, um, I'm not saying, I think Saad and Hoffman are, I don't think one is necessarily head and shoulders better than the other, because it a lot of things different. that Brandon Saad does, Mike Hoffman doesn't come anywhere near doing. It a lot obviously, of things. Hoffman, Mike Hoffman, yeah. Obviously, a lot of things Mike Hoffman does, uh, mainly shooting the puck and power play abilities. Brandon Saad is nowhere near him in that regard. So it's a different four and a half million dollars. I think it probably suits our team better than a Mike Hoffman resigning. I don't get me wrong, I would have loved to see him come back, but Saad definitely fits the the core group and the style that the uh, the old bench boss is going to want to play. So at the end of the day, um, I, I like the deal. And uh, Sammy, you said he played in Colorado the last, obviously on the third line. And then before that, he, people forget he was back on the Hawks. But the thing yeah. is, is they were fucking horrible. Terrible. <laughs> like, 
So like, this is a guy that was traded for Artemi Panarin straight up like four <laughs> years ago. What the fuck is that? You know what's funny about that is like people are like, oh, they, you know, uh, obviously Chicago won that or uh, Columbus won that deal. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. The thing is, is he in Columbus, his first year, he had a 30 goal year. It was his only year that he scored 30 goals. It was his first year there. He only had 53 points, but he had 31 goals. That's crazy to think about because, you know, he's not even really a 20 goal scorer. He's only done that three times. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. He'll, he'll, I, I will, if I had to put my, my money down on it, though, he'll, he'll be potting 20 this year uh, if he's healthy all year. So. Let's get into the RFAs, the restrictive free agents. I believe there is only one left outstanding off the top of my head. But let's just go one by one. Ivan Barbashev, he's back to your deal. Four and a half million dollars. That is not a year, of course. That is a 2.25 AAV. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to, we don't need to spend too much time on Ivan Barbashev. We know what we're getting with that guy. Fourth line, PK. Uh, puts heart, his absolute life on the line every heart and, night. Heart and soul. I'll pay two and a quarter for heart and soul all day of the week. Yep. No disputes here. I mean, that guy he literally kills penalties like it's his day job. So because it is his day job. So there you go. <laughs> and and he'll chip in uh, twenty points for you. I mean, he's not like he he can play offensively. He's he's like your your modern day. I would say your modern day fourth liner because fourth liners obviously used to be, you know, I mean, guys that had no. Guys that had no busy business skating, much much less you know trying to do anything with a puck. Uh, the last two years before this shortened year, though, he he had twenty six points both years over, over 10, ten goals. goals. Yeah, so it's like it's like this guy is uh, when you talk depth down your lineup. This is the kind of player you're going to need on your fourth line, a guy that can chip in offensively while being one of your top penalty killers and being defensively responsible. I think it's also hilarious. This guy scored 95 points in the queue. Oh, remember yeah. how good he was supposed to be? Like yeah. how highly of a prospect yeah. he was. He was and then Fabry passed him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was the camp that Barbie was supposed to make the team, and Fabry was just like, look out. He took over <laughs> camp. Took over camp. God, yeah. that third line with Fabry Brower and Paul <laughs> Stastny. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Uh, it's a classy line. That's what that is. Yeah. Uh, speaking of class, Dakota Joshua. <laughs> it's, all, it's a two-way deal, so I'm sure he was hoping for a one-wayer, but he's not going to complain one year. If he's in the NHL, be making 750k a year or for the year. Obviously, we saw this guy in spurts this year. There's a lot of you know. I've been tuning in a little more on on, on my lunch breaks. You know, dude, I listen to podcasts all day, every day. It gets a kind of. Uh, you get kind of burnt out. So I have my lunches and shit. Uh, I'll be, you know, I'll turn on one-on-one uh, mainly to laugh. But, uh, dude, I am. Some of these one-on-one guys are terrible. Horrible. Actually. So bad. Uh, but that's all you hear about is Dakota Joshua on the fourth line this year. And I actually, uh, you know, don't mind that. The thing is, is obviously if you're, we have like 14 fourth liners. So it's like. Got options on the four. Yeah, we have McEachern, we have Clifford, we have Dakota Joshua. You obviously have Barbashev, who's not going to be coming out of the lineup if he's healthy. Hopefully, Oscar Sunquist. You don't really know where he'll be. He'll be in that third, fourth line somewhere. God, get don't. I mean, it's funny 
But if he's playing in your top six, it can't happen. Uh, there's obviously injuries there or something going on. So I don't really know if he'll be third or fourth line necessarily. But, I mean, we have like six, seven, eight guys for, for three spots. So uh, hopefully Joshua, I, I like this guy's game. I don't know about you guys. Obviously, I'm sure you guys do. But uh, big boy plays below the goal line. I love it. What's not to love? Just another death signing for us. Uh, I thought it's hilarious. He comes out and scores his first fucking NHL game and then kind of just falls off a cliff, a cliff in terms of points, which he's not supposed to be a point guy. It was just funny how he scored in his first game. So people might have been thinking like, oh, we found a fucking superstar. But no, it's Dakota Joshua. Went off it, his quad. Yeah, what so do you mean? Puck did just fucking hit him. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, in, in the American League last year, he played – six games so i mean he played 18 hockey games total last year and had three goals and an assist so there you go uh that should tell you that we're looking for absolute grease out of this guy but you know you think about a guy like dude i'm not saying he can make this kind of jump but like just because you know they very minimal points in in the American League and whatnot, like a guy like dude, do you get? I mean, we all remember how like irrelevant Oscar Sunquist was for a while, and then he turned into a very good fucking Swiss Army knife caliber player who put up thirty points two years ago, twenty points. Um, the following year, it's like I don't know if you give this guy some run, who knows? Maybe he'll figure it out. He's still a young kid. He's like twenty four, twenty five years old. So who knows? Jordan Cairo, this one I think is the most interesting one. Two years, the contract is worth $5.6 million, 2.8 AAV. I don't know if he had Arbright's. I don't think he did. So this makes me think, hmm, wonder what's going on here. Given this guy, he had, granted, very good year last year, but almost $3 million. I, I just think, I don't know about you guys, I thought this was a lot more money than he was going to get. Way more than I expected. I expected two, like two flat. I actually wasn't even that surprised because this guy is kind of locked into our top six. And I mean, top, top six NHL players, like it's for, especially for a young guy who's kind of breaking out, that's kind of like a going rate for it. And so it's obviously a bridge deal. Uh, I like, let's just skip two years into the future. Like what do we even think he's going to be making after this bridge deal is finally up? Cause it's going to be twice that. Probably like, five. We, yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? I mean, it depends if he takes another jump. Because, I mean, he took this step this past year into being a top six guy, 35 points in 55 games, showed, you know, he was electric at times. Remember Jordan Kyrie All-Star campaign? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was electric at times. And, you know, he's played 99 NHL games, right? So I'm not saying it's the best barometer in the world, but you've got a sample size here now. It's 100 games, let's call it. And he's he's a, almost a half a point a game guy through those 100 games. So... And you're only going to expect that to go up. I mean, we're talking about a guy who put up 109 points in 56 games in the OHL one year. It's like, it's kind of this guy's game. Skill, speed, offense, creativity, uh, low-key shot. I, I, I don't think his shot has enough, gets enough credit. This guy's got a little, uh, he's a big fan of the uh, the low block, far side, coming down that right wing. So It's really teaching to shoot. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Yeah, you watch Phil Kessel growing <laughs> up, I guess. Uh, but anyways, I guess I would agree with what you're saying, Sam. I think that 
management's kind of like, okay, let's get this guy on the cheap as a top six guy. We're going to play him there the next two years. 2.8 obviously is a major discount for a top six player. So let's just get him. Uh, the restricted guys, by the way, you can only sign up to two years. So I mean, it's not like you can't go long with these guys. Uh, if they, if you qualify them, I believe. I don't know. There's a rule like that, but he couldn't sign longer than two years. Anyways, 2.8 to play in your top six. That's a, obviously a steal, uh, no matter who you are. So uh, I think he'll have a big-time year, as he did last year, and take a step, and we'll be uh, fucking laughing at the end of the year when he's making 2.8 next year. The big boy, Zach Sanford. He's back. <laughs> One year, two mil. Fuck. Where do we start here? I mean, were you expecting two million? Actually, are we actually going to have that contract at the start of the year? I don't know. Uh, I will say, like, I would not be surprised at all if they, they still trade this guy, even though they signed him. In some sort of a package. Just like uh, not, a- maybe not even a package. I mean, he's kind of one of these guys that you're just like, fuck, we have 15 fourth liners. Because, I mean, realistically, he's a fourth liner. Yeah. Maybe like, like maybe does, a third where liner. Does fit, where does he fit in now that we have Brandon Saad and Buchnevich on the left side? And hopefully with the potential Clint Costin appearance this year, like there's just no room for him. Oh, that guy's got to play. Uh, it's his time. It's his time. Yeah, We could dip into that a little later if we want. But he's for, uh... for the time being, you just got to expect that uh, it's Costin's turn and Zach is all but fucked off by now. You know, what's crazy is, you know, he's still pretty young, but it's like, oh, my God. I just don't think anybody. It's just like one of those things. It's like you almost don't care if they move on and, like, get good. If they, like, kind of blow up and realize their potential because it's like there's so much fatigue, I think, around. Now, I don't know about this organizationally, but obviously the fan base has chosen this guy to be the. More than the scapegoat. He gets blamed (laughs) in any loss. Yeah. Um, so, and I mean, there's some there's nights where like he's just inconsistent as shit. That's the main that's the main problem with him. Well, you can't go from doing what you did in the in the cup run and being such a stud and like moving pucks and like actually hitting people in that pass to ninety in in front of the slot. Like, what the fuck was that? Uh, you can't go from that to to trying to one touch deke someone out of your own zone, losing the puck two on zero the other way goal. Uh, that just won't fly. Not in the national. You could take that shit to the AHL. He's he's got seventy four points in two hundred nine NHL games. So I mean, you gotta think there's some value out there. Somebody takes a flyer, two million plays in your bottom six. Who knows? Maybe you can strike gold with a guy who can put up, I don't know, thirty points a year. Who knows? But uh, I still do think that if I had to guess that he won't be on the team. That'll be my. It'll be my prediction. So, and this is coming from a Zach Sanford fan. Yeah. Well, I mean, fan loosely. I mean, this year it was tough to defend. You pretty much hopped gets, off the wagon. It's been pretty. It's been a really, really slow decline from the Cup run. So, like, uh, it's just like I mean, we all know what a fucking graph looks like. Obviously, a line graph. I mean, we're thinking like almost a zero slope, but it's like, you know. 
very slowly going down. And then this past year is like, all right, well, fuck. There was just too many games where it was like, I mean, just get the fucking puck out of the zone. Like, how fucking hard is that? That's all you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> you do it. There's so, like, it's not even like, the thing is, is there's no, it's not like there's expectations placed upon this guy to be some stud. There's not. That's the biggest thing is that's usually why people become scapegoats because you know they're in these big roles and they're they're terrible they're not performing well they're making a lot of money they're not performing well and he's not that guy in any sense obviously he gets forced into our top six he just makes that egregious of mistakes yeah it's not production i don't think like I think do people expect anything more than like 30 points from this guy in a full season? No, I at least they shouldn't. It, yeah. It's the dumb shit. It's the it's the throwing the puck back into our zone <laughs> after they were just in our zone for 30 seconds rather than just chipping it off the wall and get out. This isn't roller hockey. Like you can't just go back and regroup. Get the puck out of the zone. Big Ryan Payton quote there out of Marky. This isn't roller hockey, guys. And he would just look at like me, Scotty, Shay, Marky. <laughs> That's so fair. Every <laughs> roller hockey player on the bench. I was like, yeah. I stopped the puck. Game doesn't change for me. <laughs> uh, well, that'll about do it for News in the Lou. Uh, we caught up with John Kelly, Blues play-by-play announcer. What is it? A couple weeks ago by now. So uh, the Bushnevich, just to give you some time frame, we did have Pavel Bushnevich on our team. Not locked up yet. It was last uh, weekend that you, or like early last week, you guys did this because yeah, so already Monday, had last Monday, um, and so that's kind of give you some time frame there. None of the RFAs were signed at the time. Uh, Brandon Saad was not in the mix, but still very good stuff nonetheless. Some good stories, uh, some good quotes. So why don't we toss it all on over to J.K. John Kelly right now. <laughs> Now we want to welcome on to the Chirp Podcast a very familiar voice to St. Louis sports fans. He's heading into his 17th season, if my math serves me correctly, as Blues television play-by-play voice. He's John Kelly. JK, how are you, and how's the offseason treating you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. The offseason is uh, treating me well. Obviously, hockey, um, you know, went until early July, and the draft and uh, the Kraken expansion draft last week. And now we have free agency coming up. So the off season is really short. So for someone who loves the game of hockey, that's really good. Cause I, I don't really like long, hot summers with no hockey. So this is a good summer for John Kelly. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> it's miserable out, especially this week. It's supposed to be terrible, but um, obviously we're going to touch on a lot of blues related things throughout the conversation, but how excited are you to kind of get back to a normal broadcast, hopefully this upcoming season with full capacity arenas that we saw throughout the playoffs. Sure. You know, that's been tough on broadcasters as well, not just the team and its fans. Well, let's knock on wood that we do get back to normal with (laughs) this, uh, you know, this third or fourth uh, surge, whatever it is, the Delta variant, uh, you know, obviously very concerning, but, you know, the biggest thing for me as a broadcaster is not having fans in the building for basically half the season. And as you guys know, we did the road games from a studio in St. Louis at our Bally Sports Studios. So doing a road game, calling it off of TV 
is more challenging, number one, but it's also not even close to a real experience. As you know, you go to a game and, the, you know, the fans get into the game, whether you're on the road or at home. So, you know, the biggest thing is the fans and you miss seeing a lot of familiar faces, number one, but also the excitement in, in the building. And, you know, obviously I can't speak as a player. I'm not a player. But all I know is that when the Blues score a big goal late in the game to tie the game or they win in overtime and, you know, 18,000 fans go crazy at Enterprise Center, you know, I am as excited as anybody. And I miss that. I miss that feeling in the building or when a team is attempting to come back and the fans get the team into the game. So things like that. So knock on wood, hopefully next year it is a quote unquote normal season and we can have full capacity and we'll be doing the games home and away from our normal spots. So let's just hope that um, this third or fourth wave goes away and we can get back to normal for the 21, 22 season. I really don't know if I could have put that better myself, John, you said it perfectly. I do know that you touched on the uh, road games and in terms of like a broad uh, broadcasting aspect, I was wondering if your team, the broadcasting team will be back allowed on the road this season or how that process is going to work. You know, Sam, as a matter of fact, I just saw my, my boss, our executive producer, at Valley Sports, Larry Mago at a function the other day, and we asked him that exact question. And at this time, they do not know. It, it really isn't up to Valley Sports or the St. Louis Blues. It's really an NHL uh, directive um, because they're the ones that control, you know, who's allowed in press boxes, who's allowed on the team charters and things like that. And if they're not going to allow um, a secondary television broadcast to to work out of a building um, for instance if we go to a road game you know they've got to allow us to have a tv truck and have um, workers and and people do you know work with us on the broadcast so if they're not going to allow that and we have to take uh, the world feed or the home feed like we did this year then we don't have the option of going on the road so it's really up to the nhl and the, the road they want to go down hopefully like i said they will allow um, other you know, producers and directors and, and other personnel to work those games and, and then would go obviously and call the games. But again, that's, that's really above our level. And uh, we'll just cross <laughs> our fingers that we can get back to normal and do those road games. Well, exactly. I was going to say, I'm sure these are familiar questions you've probably been answering all summer. I was wondering if we can get into the present here in a little bit, but let's go back to the roots real quick. You are the son of a legend in his own right, the late Dan Kelly. What was your life kind of like growing up in terms of a hockey sense? I'm sure there were a lot of time spent at the rink soaking it all in as a kid, especially with him. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I moved to St. Louis in 1968. I was eight years old. And my dad was in his first year as the blues broadcaster. And as a young kid, I developed number one, I developed the love of hockey um, as yeah. you would expect. And I, I played hockey as a kid in St. Louis. And then as I got older, probably around, you know, eighth or ninth grade, I started to get the broadcasting bug. And more and more when I went to a game, um, instead of sitting in the seats with my mom or my sisters, I'd sit with him in the broadcast booth and, you know, sitting next to him was a, a great privilege, a great honor. He was such a great broadcaster, um, obviously a great dad. But I, it really gave me a strong desire to become a hockey broadcaster. So, um, you know, that's really how I developed my love for the game of hockey and broadcasting. And um, I got lucky out of college. I got a job in the middle of Kansas. Um, I did broadcasting for basketball games, high school, junior college, 
I was there for eight months and I really did everything guys. I, and I, I did, did news. I did uh, sales, um, features, um, sports, play by play. And then I was there for eight months and then I got really lucky and I got a job in the American hockey league in the fall of 82 with the St. Catherine saints. Uh, at that time they were the farm team for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you know, I was really fortunate to get, um, that big job and that big step in my career. I worked six years in the minor leagues and then um, did some games for the New York Rangers in 1988-89. And unfortunately that year, my dad passed away in, in February of 89. And then the next year, the Blues called me and asked me to come to St. Louis and, and um, in, in a way replace him. And I worked with Ken Wilson. Um, I went on to Tampa Bay for three years, to Colorado for nine, and then back to St. Louis in 04. So you know, a, a bit of a circuitous, circuitous path, rather, as a lot of a lot of broadcasters go through. But you know, great to be back in St. Louis and and broadcasting Blues games, and it's just been a great career. And my teams that I've covered, um, they've won three Stanley Cups, so I've been very fortunate. <laughs> you know, covering the Avalanche for nine years, they won two cups, and of course, the Blues Cup was the highlight of my career in 2019. So it's uh, I'm very, been very blessed in my career. Yeah, and the way you were talking about your your kind of rise up the ladder there, it, it does kind of uh, mirror that of a player too. I mean, you got to catch you know a couple good breaks. You got to battle your way up for sure. Obviously, your name's not going to get you there alone. But it isn't just yourself that is involved in broadcasting. Uh, I talked about it a little bit before we uh, hit record. Your younger brother Dan is also making a career of calling sports games with plenty of uh, college hockey work over at the Big Ten Network, amongst other things. Um, Marky, who I mentioned was, was not on the call here, but me and him have a college hockey pack podcast. We had him on a while back. Do you guys kind of, do you ever tune into each other's broadcasts and still give each other, uh, pointers to help better each other, even though you're, uh, you're, uh, so much advanced into your guys' careers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I watch, you know, my brother on the big 10 network and, um, he does a fantastic job and, you know, I've always felt as a broadcaster and my father told me this years ago that it, it's really important to get honest evaluation and at times criticism from other broadcasters because, you know, as a broadcaster, you know, I, I go to a blues game and I come home and, you know, my, my wife or son or daughters might've watched the game. And, you know, I said, Oh, how was the game? And how are the broadcasts? And they say, Oh, everything was great. Well, you know what, maybe I did a poor job, but they're not going <laughs> to maybe even say that or, or notice that. But that's why I think it's really important as a broadcaster, Brennan, to, to get some honest feedback from perhaps fellow broadcasters or people in the business and also to watch your own games. And I do that almost every, after every game, I'll, the next day I'll, I'll watch a period or two and, and you, you know, you fall into bad habits and you might use the same phrase too often or the, the, the same word and, or your enthusiasm isn't good at a certain point. So I think it's important that, you know, my brother has me to watch some of his games and he does the same for me. So I think that it's a, it's a critical element um, for a broadcaster to, you know, always improve and try to get better. I mean, you can never be perfect, obviously. It, it's such a difficult profession at times, but I think it's important that you get that criticism and analysis and feedback from someone close to you. I will say, John, there are, uh, there are tons of young hockey uh, players out there that, have probably had the same idea as I do currently. And, and maybe Brendan <laughs> did at one point, but in terms of making it to the NHL someday and fully pursuing a career that involves hockey, I was wondering 
if there was any sort of outside pressure, maybe from uh, a family perspective, or if there were uh, friends or anyone that have kind of uh, pushed you to fully pursue a broadcasting career, and what kind of uh, pressure has came along with uh, the idea of pursuing that broadcasting career, and if like your father has, uh, if he was ever one of the big uh, deterrents and you uh, fully deciding that path. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, Sam, when I decided that I wanted to be a hockey broadcaster, he sat down with me and said, basically, don't do it because of me. Um, it's a tough profession at times. It can be really tough um, politically and things like that. And it's a, it's a hard road to, to, to get to where you want to go. But, you know, he said, if you want to do it, then then go for it. So he didn't encourage me, but he didn't discourage me. Um, but once right. I made that decision, Sam, he was fully supportive and he was my my biggest sounding board, uh, my best teacher I could ever have. And he was so helpful along the way. And he would listen to my games and give me feedback. And hey, he, to me, he's the greatest hockey broadcaster ever. So to get um, a lesson from him, to have him listen to my tapes and things like that. Um, I, I couldn't ask for a better tutor. And, and he was, again, once he, you know, he knew I was in full bore, then it was fantastic. And, and he was nothing but supportive. And I know more people, especially in this city, think that that same way about him as well. Um, your whole professional career, though, for the most part, has been spent in, in hockey, whether that be, you know, in the American League, like you talked about, and the three NHL franchises. Um, you touched on some opportunities to call some other sports, uh, how does that compare to hockey at all, or does it? Well, they, they really are also different, Brennan. And I haven't done many different sports since I started in the NHL. I did some arena football league games when I was down in Tampa for um, an, a team in Orlando. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, arena football um, is a lot of fun. It, you know, it's a shorter field. Um, not as many, I think seven players on the field at the time for each team. It's high scoring. Um, you know, obviously it's indoors. It, it was a lot of fun to do. So I haven't done, you know, many other sports. But, you know, when I was coming up working in college at SIU Edwardsville, um, I did a lot of different sports. As a matter of fact, I did every sport but hockey in college. I did tons of basketball. I did some football. Um, I did some baseball, things like that. You know, actually my, my dream job scenario guys would be to be an NHL broadcaster which I am but also in the summer do professional golf because I love golf oh yeah but the only announcers that do golf are network announcers so it's yeah. really hard to get into into to that area and you know the guys that do it are fantastic the Jim Nance is the world and Dan Hicks on NBC so there are very very few broadcasting jobs available in the sport of golf, but that would be ideally what I would love to do is, is to do that. But, you know, I'm very happy doing hockey. I love the, the blues and the NHL. Um, but I haven't really, to answer your question uh, again, I really haven't done many sports in the last say 20, 25 years. John, I want to switch the uh, topic here a little bit to some blues related items uh, just because this city and really the entire hockey community lost a legend in Bobby Plager this year. I'm sure you've known him for years and years and have plenty of great stories about him. I was wondering if you have any story that truly plants a picture of the kind of person that this hockey community and the Blues organization lost this past year. Well, how long do you have, Sam? I mean, <laughs> no we, we could, 
We could talk about Bob Plager forever. You know, I first met Bob, as I said, when I came in 1968, I was a young guy and the Plager brothers were my idols, Barkley and Bob. And, you know, younger brother Bill was here for a few years, but in particular, Bob and Barkley were, were my personal idols as hockey players. And I got to know them both very well. Unfortunately, Barkley passed away um, from a brain tumor exactly a year before my dad did. Uh, Barkley passed in 1988. Um, but Bob was a legend. You know, I think the biggest thing with Bob is that he wore every hat imaginable for the St. Louis Blues. You know, starting in 1968, of course, or 67, actually, when he was um, drafted by or traded to the St. Louis Blues, he was an original blue. So he was the player and assistant coach, obviously the head coach for, for a short time. He was a pro scout. He was a broadcaster. Um, he did some color work with Chris Kerber on the radio side. Um, he was an ambassador. So he, he was there for so long. And you think about it, guys, not many people are with one organization in pro sports for over 50 years. I mean, it's quite remarkable mm -hmm. that Bob had that longevity. And, he, you know, he did it. He did it so well. He did it so gracefully. And I, I know that every person that ever met Bob Plager, Number one, he was such a down-to-earth, personable guy. And you walked away saying, man, what a great guy he is. You know, I really enjoyed talking with him. And me personally, you know, he, he, he always made you smile or made you laugh. He, he was the king of one-liners, the king of jokes. So that's what I remember of Bob is that he, he wore all these hats. He was just a, the kind of person that could talk to the president of the hockey club or the usher at the rink or the person in the 300 level, it, it didn't matter. Bob was, was not pretentious. He was not better than anybody. He was just an everyday kind of guy. And I, I still can't believe he's gone. Um, because the other thing with Bob is that he was there every night, guys. I mean, I would get to the rink around quarter to five for a Blues game. And Bob would roll in around 5, 5.15. And there was a club next to the Blues locker room that he would always go to and He'd have dinner around 5.30 and the fans would start coming in, people who were members of the club, and he'd talk to those people. And he would do that every single game. And here's, here's a man that was, you know, in his late 70s and, you know, the weather could have been bad or he could have been, you know, feeling down or, you know, cold or whatever. He would still go to the game. So that's what I miss the most is every single Blues game getting to see Bob Plager and, you know, the laughs and, and talking to Bob about, you know, the latest – news in the game or the latest trade or whatever it was. So again, I could talk about him all night long. He, he was such a great person, such a great friend. And I feel so bad for his, his daughter, Melissa, um, his son, Bobby Jr., just a great family. And we certainly miss him very much. Yeah. You said that, you know, uh, at the beginning of your answer that, you know, everybody that's met him has a story pretty much. And ironically enough, I was able to meet him just at a, at a game one time. It was actually in 2019 during the, you know, the rougher part of the season, obviously it's kind of a tale of two seasons there. <laughs> Me and my friend just asked him for a picture and he's like, uh, hold on one moment. I'll be right back. And he went, he went over to like three or four other groups of people took pictures and then came back to us. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but I mean, that completely aligns with everything you just said. Um, but focusing on the current state of the team, uh, Doug Armstrong's made it clear that this offseason was going to be a big one for, for him personally and the entire team. It's looking like some core players are on their way out, obviously just, you know, just winning the cup a few years ago. But 
went out and acquired Pavel Buchnevich uh, from the New York Rangers. And I think that kind of, you know, signals that this, this offseason could be one where Army plans to take another stab at the cup with this core group still in place. Am I wrong? No, I think you're 100% right, Brennan. They, they feel that their window is still open to win a Stanley Cup with the core they have. I mean, you look at the team, especially up the middle with O'Reilly and Shen, Sunquist and Barbershev. You know, if Bozek comes back, hopefully he will. He's a UFA. They're really strong up the middle. And obviously with Jordan Bennington in goal, they have a goaltender that's won a Stanley Cup. You know, Pareko, knock on wood, he comes back and he's a healthier player. He, You know, he played last year with a bad back, as we know. And, you know, it really hampered his play. So, you know, I like what the Blues have done the last couple of years. It's not easy, as we know, to stay on top. And, you know, we just saw Tampa Bay win back-to-back cups. They're only the second team since 98 to win back-to-back cups. Pittsburgh's the other team in, in 16 and 17 that won. So it's really hard to stay on top. So, But I think getting back to your original point, Brennan, it is a season or a summer of transition for the Blues. You know, it, it looks like Tarasenko could be dealt at any point. Um, he apparently has asked the Blues for a trade. Not apparently, he did, according to Doug Armstrong. And Jaden Schwartz is a UFA, and he's been a big part of the Blues for, for you know, around 10 years. So, you know, Buchnevich is a player that I think can come in and certainly fit in the top six. He had 19 or 20 goals last year. He's averaged 19 goals a year the last three years. Um, I know in talking to Joe Micheletti, the former Blues player broadcaster who – of course, does a great job for the New York Rangers on television. Love he had great, great things to say about, yeah, I love Joe too. Great things to say about Kuchnevich, uh, that the players love him. He's a happy-go-lucky guy, um, really good player that works hard. He's an honest player. And, and the one thing that I notice in watching him play either in person a couple of times a year or on TV is he's got really good speed. So that's another thing that the Blues can use more of. Not that they're a slow team but they're also not a really fast team. So guys, I think that, you know, his speed will certainly come in handy. And I think, you know, you put him on a wing with O'Reilly or Shen, it's, it should be a pretty good combination. So, but I think Doug Armstrong has, has more building blocks in place coming up. Hopefully Um, I, I, you know, reading on the internet today, apparently they were in on Ryan Suter, um, the the defenseman for the wild that just got bought out. So I think they need to add certainly another defenseman, you know, they've lost some some key guys now. You, you look back to the cup year, you know, no more Bo Meester because of his his heart condition. And now they just lose Vince Dunn. So and obviously Petrangelo. So, you know, I think they need to shore up the back end a little bit. And obviously they get Bushnevich. And if Schwartz does leave, then that's another hole. So but I think the, the, the benefit the Blues have, like every team, if you do have the cap space, there are lots of players available because some teams just want to get rid of players as we've seen with the Arizona coyotes. I mean, they're getting players that teams don't want. And for taking those players, they're also getting draft choices. I mean, whoever thought in a million years, <laughs> a team could make a trade, they get a player, they get draft choices. Obviously they inherit the salary and they don't have to give anything up in return, but yeah. that's the world we live in now. So I think the bottom line is that you can get players, but Doug's got to be smart about it and he will be smart you got to get the players at the right price to fit into your structure because the blues obviously have a lot of money committed to the players they have, but I have full faith in Doug that he'll get the the job done and get the right pieces in place. And hopefully the blues can be a cup contender again in 21, 22. I do too. I definitely agree with you. And I think just as a fan, 
this part of uh, the off season is just so exciting. All the potential moves that could be made and the corners that teams are looking to ha- uh, make for their franchises. It's, it's so exciting to watch, but I want to touch on the expansion draft real quick because that, that just took uh, place this last week. And it was interesting to see to me, at least that not one player on the blues protected list this year was on the one back in 2017. And it was wild to me to think that in that case, there was a Stanley cup mixed in there. Right. And like, to me, I want to get your take on that, having two completely different protection lists in the span of uh, four to five years. Well, obviously, David Perron went to Vegas back in, in uh, was it 2016, right. when, when the Golden Knights came into the league. So, yeah, it's it's crazy how things change in, in a four-year span. And But you look at what Seattle did compared to Vegas. They went with a lot younger group of players. Uh, I know they got a couple of veterans, Mark Giordano of the Calgary Flames, their captain, they picked him, who I, I've loved all, you know, his career. He's, he's a heart and soul kind of player. Yep. And they got Jordan Eberle, a, a guy that's a former first-round draft choice of Edmonton, playing with the Islanders. You know, he's still, I think he's 31 years old, still a really good player. But for the most part, they went with younger players, and they also have a lot of salary cap space available. So I think their general manager, Ron Francis, feels that in the next year or two, because the salary cap won't go up, teams are going to be desperate to get rid of salaries, just like we've seen with Arizona taking on a lot of these salaries. So I think they feel that they can take on more salaries and also, you know, gain some assets in the process. So, yeah, it's funny how things change. Again, they had a different uh, perspective on, on doing things, uh, you know, different than Vegas. And obviously Vegas has had pretty good success okay. with the team that they drafted and the trades they've made and the signings they've made. I mean, they, they have been just an unbelievable franchise so far. So, you know, we'll see how it, it works out for Seattle short term. But obviously, long term, that should be a wonderful franchise. I mean, they sold out their season tickets in like 20 minutes. And the, it's a hockey, it's a hockey mad city already. They haven't dropped the puck yet. So, yeah, but you're right. It's, it's a different year. And, uh, you know, the Blues protected different players. But that's the way it is. And, you know, really, since 19 now, the Blues have lost. You know, I, I'd have to count it up, but, you know, eight or nine players from their Stanley Cup team now are right. gone. So but that's just the way it is in, in the game of hockey and the salary cap era. But, um, you know, we'll see what transpires here in the next couple of months. Well, on a different note, your broadcast partner is a fan favorite amongst uh, the Blues community. <laughs> what is it like working with Panger? I know you guys, you know, make sure in a normal season to get out onto the course plenty. I'm sure that's a lot of fun in places like Scottsdale and Vegas. Yeah, he's an avid golfer. He's a really good golfer, Brennan. He's about a three or four handicap. Oh, wow. And I'm, you know, I'm more like a 13 or 14 handicap. <laughs> so he's got to give me a, a lot of shots. Um, yeah. yeah, number one, Darren. Yeah, he's a, he's a, you know, he's the second shortest goalie to ever play in the NHL. I don't know if you guys know that. I um, figured he'd be the shortest. Like <laughs> no, there, there is a guy actually, um, his name was Shrimp Worders. I mean, obviously, that's a pretty good nickname, right? <laughs> I don't think that was his real name, but he was the shortest goalie ever. He played a long time ago. But Darren is, I don't know, Darren's 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, the second shortest goalie. But, he, you know, to, to play in the NHL at that size, you have to be a really, really good athlete. And he is. He's, he's got great hands, great golfer, as I said, great tennis player. Um, so, number one, he was a great athlete. But as a broadcaster, that's your question, I know. He, he is so fun to work with what you see on TV, um, the energy, the enthusiasm, the knowledge at times, the goofiness, that's Darren. I mean, there's, there's just no two ways to put it. He's, he's just a very honest person. 
And I love working with him. I think the, the biggest thing with, with Darren and I is that we both love the game so much. And I, I hope that when people watch a Blues game, that comes through on the TV that, hey, these two guys really like their job. They really like the game of hockey. They really like the Blues because we do. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is we both really enjoy what we do a lot. And, and, and that's what we try to do every night is to make it informative, entertaining, make you laugh a little bit, um, things like that. Um, but off, off the microphone, he, he's just, he's a hoot. I mean, he, he really is. And he never, he, he really never stops. He's like the energizer bunny that goes 24 hours a day. We could guys, we could be flying on a three hour flight after a game from say Denver to Edmonton, get off the plane at three in the morning in Edmonton in a snowstorm. We have, we have our own separate bus from the players. We get on our media bus and, and Darren invariably will go to the front of the bus and all the buses have microphones. So he'll, he'll get the microphone and he'll start talking and making jokes and he'll give, he'll give a, a sports report on the games that night. And he'll just talk for the 45 minute drive from the airport to the hotel. And then sometimes you say, you know what, guys, can we get some rest here? But he never stops. He just never stops. And I, I love the guy. I mean, we're both from Ottawa. As a matter of fact, we both grew up about a mile apart when we were in Ottawa. And I never knew Darren. He's five years younger than me. But isn't that something that two guys from Ottawa, Ontario, who lived a mile apart are now the broadcasters with St. Louis Blues. Pretty crazy, I think. So yeah. anyways, I love him. He's a great broadcaster, great friend. And hopefully he stays here forever and we're a team forever. That'd be great. It really is unbelievable the way you guys are able to feed off each other. You guys are really great together. And I, it's been part of my childhood growing up is watching you guys uh, do your thing every single night to tune into the Blues game. It's something I look forward to. And I know the rest of my family does. So you guys really are great. But I want to take it back to 2019 for a second because you had the opportunity to call the second periods of the Stanley Cup final games on the radio. Um, being that NBC had the exclusive television rights, you were probably going to be sitting on the couch watching your St. Louis Blues playing the – Stanley Cup final like the rest of us I was wondering what it was like to hear from your buddy Chris Kerber reach out and extend an offer to you that you really couldn't turn down what was that feeling like hearing that from Chris well it was an unbelievable and I've always said since he made the gesture it was unprecedented because Sam quite honestly I've never heard of another broadcaster another radio broadcaster you know come to um, the play-by-play -play man who does tv for that particular team because in every team, team sport, it's the same thing. The networks take over, you know, after the first round or like in mm -hmm. baseball, Dan McLaughlin doesn't get to do any postseason games. So in a way, it's not fair, but that's another story. So when Chris came to me the night the Blues won the Western Conference Championship against San Jose at Enterprise Center, um, we were in a, in, a, in a private room with a bunch of other Blues employees because they had the the trophy in there, the Western Conference trophy. I think it's the Clarence Campbell trophy. So I was in there with my wife and kids and we were taking pictures and Chris came up to me and said, you know, I want you to do the second period of, of every game in the final. And I said, I said, Chris, I'm not doing that. I said, that is your job. I said, it's very nice of you to ask, but it's, it's, it's your place and it's your job. And he goes, John, it's not really a question. I'm demanding it and I'm insisting on it. So again, it was awesome. And for me to do that, it was a great thrill because um, unless I end up doing radio at some point, 
and who knows what could happen down the road. I, I don't plan on it, uh, not, nothing against radio, but I won't get a chance to do the Stanley Cup final. And I'll never get a chance to, to call a goal in the Stanley Cup final or, or things like that. So to, to do that game and that series, those games was, was awesome. And, you know, obviously the connection with my father, because he was, of course, the announcer – in 1970, when the Blues played the Bruins in the final, and Bobby Orr scored that goal on May 10th, 1970, at the 42nd mark, and it was my father's most famous call. So here we were 50 years later, and Dan Kelly's son gets to call a Stanley Cup final against the Boston Bruins. So it was really cool, something I'll never, ever forget. Um, was blessed to do it, and Chris Kerber uh, is a great friend, and it was just a great trip, great gesture by him. Yeah, well, you know, after the Blues eventually won and brought the Cup home, you obviously got to spend a day with it just like the players do. How did you spend that day with the Cup? I'm sure there was probably a trip to share it with uh, with your late father. Yeah, we did a couple of things, Brennan. We brought it to um, my dad's gravesite, And I always said in the back of my mind that if the Blues were to win a Cup, that's what I wanted to do. And the Blues were so nice to, to let me do that. As a matter of fact, um, they did it early one morning and they let Bob Gassoff Jr. take the cup to his dad's grave, Bob Gassoff Sr., who's buried in the same cemetery as my father. So, you know, what was really cool about that morning. It was a beautiful uh, morning in late September and it was blue skies and my my family was there. And then my mom was there and my sisters, my brother couldn't make it. He was out of town. But one of my sisters um, brought some some tapes of my dad calling goals. So here we were at his gravesite with the Stanley Cup sitting next to his grave. And, you know, the the calls of Dan Kelly goals were in the background. It was really cool and really That's special. Awesome. So we, we, we spent about a half hour there with the cup because I always wanted to bring it to my dad's grave. And, and we did that. Uh, we also had a, a party. The Blues were gracious enough to let all the broadcasters sort of split a day. And I had the, the late hour, which was great. <laughs> so we um, we took the we took the cup to um, my brother-in-law's house, um, which is in Kirkwood, and they have a really cool house with a pool out back. So we we got a tent and we got food and everything, and we invited I don't know 200 people, and it was a great party. What made it really cool was um, I asked Colton Pareko to come um, to the party because the, the NHL has a rule that unless you have your name on the Stanley cup, you can't either drink out of the cup or you can't lift the Stanley cup over your head. I don't know if you guys know that, wow. but that's a that's, rule. That's weird. I did not yeah. Know. So yeah, that's just the rule. So number one, I, I, I love Colton Preco. He's, he's one of my favorite blues of all time. As a matter of fact, I tell people that he is probably the nicest player I've ever met in hockey. And I've been in hockey a long time. He's the nicest guy. So I asked Colton, because I knew that the, the people that came to, to our party wanted to drink out of the cup. So I said, hey, Colton, would you come by for an hour or two? And he knew what I wanted. He knew that he wanted he knew that I wanted him to hold the cup and have people drink out of it and all that. So he came with Sunquest. And nice. Colton Preco literally held the Stanley Cup for 90 minutes, two hours. You know, we kept filling it with champagne and beer, and, and all the guests came over, drank out of the cup. And he was such a nice guy to do it. And it's awesome. Sunquist was there and he was standing right near, near uh, Pareko. 
And at one point, Pareko was getting tired because, you know, the cup weighs 35 pounds. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Colton said, hey, Sonny, come on, give me a break. And Sunquist goes, ah, you're fine. You're doing great. And Oscar <laughs> took another sip of his beer and said, you're doing great. And, but it was, it was a great party. And you know what's amazing, guys, about the Stanley Cup is even though, you know, I've been lucky enough to be around the game of hockey and, you know, meet owners and players and coaches, the fact is when you get your hands on the Stanley Cup as a, as a fan or whatever – and get to touch it or take a picture, it's really special. So all the guests that came to our party, for them to be near the cup and to drink out of the cup, get a picture with the cup. Bob Plager was there as well that, that night. People came up to me and said it was the best night of their life. I mean, think about it. If you're a hockey fan, a fan of the Blues, and you get to go to a party with Pareko and Sunquist and Bob Plager and get to drink out of the Stanley Cup, pretty cool night. So, again, the Blues were so nice to let the broadcasters have um, you know, a two or three hour window with the Stanley cup. Cause we're not, you know, we didn't do anything. We didn't, we didn't win the, the, the cup. We didn't draft the mm-hmm. players. We didn't coach them, but we didn't, we're not the doctors. We're just the broadcasters, but they felt that we were, you know, inclu- they wanted to include us and they did. And it was just a great day. Great night. Great party. I, I will tell you what, I've always found that tradition that everyone involved in the organization gets to have their day or their moment with the cup. I feel like that's one of the most unique, cool things you could be able to do in sports is, is what you just talked about, a day with the cup, having a party. But I want to um, talk about, okay, this is going to be my inner fan coming out here, so bear with me. Where did the iconic thank you, thank you call come from whenever uh, you originally had said it? I want to know where that originates from and because – I think the delivery is great and it only comes, it always comes at the perfect time. And as a fan, it's probably my favorite call to hear uh, in sports. So I want to know where that came from. Wow. That's very nice of you to say that, Sam. Thank you. Um, Ironically enough, Sam, it's sort of a uh, long story, but my, my last year in St. Louis before I left and, you know, came back of course was in 91, 92 and the blues were in, in the first round against Chicago and Brett Hull scored, I believe, was a double overtime goal. And it just sort of came out, you know, because the Blues were down in the series. They had to win the game. Uh, I believe they were losing 3-1 in the series. And Brett scored, and I just blurted it out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, they lost the series, and then I, I moved on to Tampa. And I never really used it in Tampa for whatever reason. And then when I got to Colorado in, in 95, the Avalanche were such a great team and they won the Stanley Cup their, my first year there and their first year in Denver. And I started to use it in Denver and I'd use it a lot. And, you know, if you listen to old goal calls from, from Avalanche years of 95 to 04, and you heard John Kelly and Peter McNabb, well, chances are I use that call. So, but then I came back to St. Louis in, in, in 04 and I just haven't used it a lot. I don't know. Maybe I just feel in my mind that was something that, I used a lot in Denver and it was popular. At least I hope it was. And, but I honestly don't use it much anymore, maybe two or three times a year, but I'm glad you guys enjoy it. Um, you know, I guess in a way it's my signature call and things like that, but I, I try to mix it up and do different, you know, things and different calls. And so I, I don't use it that often anymore, but hopefully the fans like it. I hope you like it. That's good. Well, maybe that's the reason I do enjoy it so much is that it is so rare and it makes those moments even that much better. So again, I love it so much. I just I right. to get that off my chest. Well, thanks, Sam. Um, well, to cap things off, uh, I guess our final question, do you have a favorite call while being here in St. Louis? I'm sure there's, you know, countless of them, uh, but I'm sure maybe a few stick out to you. Um, 
Yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, they're all big goals, obviously. Um, I think that, you know, Brower's goal in game seven against Chicago um, was a, was a favorite moment. I don't know if it was my favorite call, but it was certainly was a huge moment because, you know, Chicago had just won their third Stanley cup in 2015 and the blues were up three, one in the series and went to game seven. They had a two nothing lead. The Hawks tied it. And then Brower scored with, with eight minutes left. And it was a great moment. Um, maybe one of my more favorite calls was Steen's overtime goal against LA, the shorthanded goal where, yes. and this is, this is the honest truth is that, so the, the blues are in overtime in game one, I believe yeah, it was game one and they, they take a double minor for high sticking. So they're in big trouble, right? You know, yeah. it's in overtime and you know, they have to kill off a four minute power play. So the bucket shot down the ice and quick goes behind his net. And I looked down at my stats to, to give a stat, like, you know, whatever it was, the blues number of shorthanded goals or the blues penalty killing percentage in the seat, whatever. So all of a sudden Panger starts going crazy yeah. <laughs> and I look up and the puck's in the net. And I, you know, I think he said, it's, I don't know what he said. And then I followed up and um, it, it was really, it was, it, it turned out to be a good call, even though I sort of missed the goal. I'll be honest with you. Um, yeah, um, I, can hear I, I think it I said, head. Oh my God, a shorthanded goal by Steve. And, um, goodbye. Good night. Something like that. So that, I think that was one of my favorite calls. And most recently, um, Schwartz's goal in game five against Winnipeg yep. when he scored with uh, 15 seconds left to give the blues a three, two win. Um, that, that was a call I really liked. Um, I think I said, this is crazy or something like that because it was crazy. The blues were down two nothing in the third period. They tied the game. They were dominating the jets down the stretch. And then, uh, you know, Schwartz, he tips out of the midair with again, 15 seconds left and the blues win the game three, two and, and go ahead three, two in the series. So I, I think those three probably are, are my three favorites. Well, I lied. One more, uh, more of a shout out than anything. Um, I obviously want to thank your son for setting this up, but uh, your son's, if I'm not mistaken, pursuing the broadcasting path too. So uh, what, will we see him down the road uh, calling some hockey games? I hope so. He, uh, he, he really has the broadcasting bug. He loves hockey. As a matter of fact, he's, he's trying to, to land a job as we speak, Brendan, because you know, obviously it's really hard for young broadcasters right now in the last year or so with COVID because all the minor leagues were basically shut down last year. So all of these jobs that were open were, were suddenly not open anymore. Um, teams just didn't play. So now they're starting to, to ramp up. And as a matter of fact, you know, just the last couple of weeks, teams have started to ask for, for people to send in their resume and tapes and things like that. So I, I know that Patrick has has contacted a couple of teams and, you know, trying to do some interviews and things like that. So cross, uh, we're crossing our fingers that he can get a job in the minor leagues and, and, you know, you know, get into, into the business. Um, although he has been doing the St. Louis ambush, the indoor soccer team mm -hmm. in St. Louis, they play at, at the family arena. So he has some experience. As a matter of fact, a lot of experience. He, he did a lot of games at Lindenwood, uh, you know, in college. So yeah, it'd be great if he could get a, a job this summer and, get into the professional ranks and, and hopefully someday uh, another Kelly could be in the NHL. That'd be really cool. But you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I've never put any pressure on him. Like my father didn't put on me. 
Um, you know, all he can do is his best. And if he can fulfill his dreams, that would be awesome. That'd be great. Absolutely. Well, thanks for taking the time. Obviously, we uh, we truly appreciate it. Blues fans, if you don't follow uh, John already, you can on Twitter at jkellyhockey. As always, uh, keep up the good work on the broadcast. We're looking forward to hearing your voice in just a couple months, hopefully uh, at home, on the road, and in full, full arenas. Yeah, that would be awesome. Can't wait. Um, again, this hot weather, Brendan, I'm, I don't like this hot weather. This I don't is know crazy. You know, does. I was – I, I, back I to Canada. Tell, I tell everybody that I was – I was born and bred in in Ottawa, Ontario. So I'm not made for this kind of hot weather. I like the colder weather. So I can't wait for hockey season. Can't wait to get behind the mic on Valley sports, doing the games, hopefully, as you said, on the road and home. And hopefully we can call another uh, great season of blues hockey. And, and who knows, maybe another Stanley cup. Thanks for having me on uh, great questions. Enjoyed the conversation. And uh, thank you again for having me on. Thank you so much, John, for coming on. We both appreciate it tons we cannot wait to talk to you hopefully again in the future awesome anytime guys anytime thanks all right hope you guys enjoyed the john kelly interview obviously no mark there that's tough that's a tough one to miss it's the way she goes it's the way she goes boys that was unbelievable to talk to that guy <laughs> i don't even remember what i was doing you were moving. I was moving. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Last uh, week sucked. I think you were moving, but uh, me and Sammy obviously got the chance to talk to him. Sammy, what was the, what was your favorite part? I think I know what you're gonna say. Uh, in terms of him having his party and having fives come over and lift the cup for him, because uh, I mean that's just amazing. One, I don't yeah. think that's something that a lot of people know. That if like your name's not on the cup, you can't even lift it over your head. Uh, Did you know that, Marky? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty insane. Like I never really. You didn't know that, Mark? No, I no, I knew that because I got. I was gonna say it. Fucking bad. I was gonna say. I bet you tried to fucking do something. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I was just like, pops. They're probably gonna tell us we can't do this, but like, because Tammy was taking the pictures. I was like, before, after she takes the first one, you grab the bottom and like I'll grab the top and like we'll try to get it up and see and see if they'll let us put it over our head. And I mean, within seconds, the dudes like put it down. It'd been fucking That's hilarious. sick. Cause it's like I'm not. I, I I play. I have wheels on my skates. I'm never gonna get the chance to do that. So fuck. Why not? I mean, you gotta give it a shot. Oh, and try. outside like, of the fact that you're fucking 25 years exactly, old. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That too. That doesn't help. I gotta try. Like, why would I not try? What else uh, would you get the chance? Exactly. <laughs> so that is the only chance of my lifetime that I would have the opportunity to try to lift that thing. So why would I not do it? 50 years from now, you'll get another chance. But fuck, you'll be like 90, bud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not what we need. Keller, hey, but hey, I, we're not lifting anything in. Keller, I'll go back to your question. I thought it was pretty funny. You remember uh, the part uh, during that he said he missed the Steen OT goal where we were short oh, yeah. the wrap round. <laughs> he wasn't even watching. He just heard Pink <laughs> scream his ass off, and he looks up, and Steen's like mid-selling. He's like, oh, my God, Alexander Steen has scored. It's <laughs> unbelievable that, like, it's one of his best calls ever, and he didn't even fucking see the play. Yeah, dude. I, I, when he was telling us that the whole time, I'm just picturing Steen in my head on yeah. a knee with his tinted vise, huge beak. Oh my god, it was so sick. But uh, yeah, obviously, hope you guys enjoyed that. A um, couple things this past week. Obviously, we talked about on the, on the top State Wars boys semifinals loss. What do we think? 
I played like shit. I don't know if anyone played. Yeah, I don't. Th- I, 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 I mean, you could say that, but I mean, bird's eye view. I don't think anybody played that. Great. I mean, yeah, we didn't play good. At they all. were fucking humming. Oh, they're humming all tourney. <laughs> Mud snakes were sick that tourney. They, honestly, they should have won it all, but uh, the Jimmy T defect that happens. Um, oh yeah, it happens. Damn good lately. Yeah, I, yep. would, I wouldn't yep. consider the weekend like a total loss. Though. I no, it was we, a good weekend. I thought we played good hockey games. I thought we had a lot of good goals. Um, having Dell really helps. He's a pretty good player. He's not uh, bad. Hopefully, we can get him back for another week. You mean David Perron? Was this fucking white skates? <laughs> Yikes. He's oh. better than David Perron. He is. <laughs> hey, we had a sick comeback dub against Ohio where we weren't worried for a second. No, we actually, down, we weren't. We were down 3 1. It's just like, okay, been here before. Fucking round 3 1 at half. We're just, yeah, we're, we're all right. We're fine. We tuck five in the second. See you later, 6 3. See, and it's little things like that that make me feel like, you know what, the weekend wasn't a total loss. And yeah, if we just, got smelled in quarters after losing those two, after losing to Shield and Florida as we did in round robin, like that would have that sucked. Yeah, that would have been horrible. But we got to win a playoff game, made it to semis. I mean, we could, we, we could say we were top four. Yeah. Hey, people know after this summer, you know, winning, winning one at tours, top four at State Wars, people know who we are. That's all you need. Exactly. So it's not, it's not a loss. It's not it's a loss. It's just a, uh, a loss in the semifinals, but the weekend as a whole, definitely not a loss. Agreed. I, funny fucking uh, thing here is that I see Donnie after the game, and I was like, ah, he goes, well, that sucked. I was like, yeah, well, eh, you know, semifinals. He goes, oh, yeah, they still did good. I was like, how'd you do in the uh... <laughs> dumbass fucking question by me? I'm walking into this. He's like, oh, uh, did you win any other <laughs> other divisions? He goes, oh, yeah, we had seven golds, three silvers, <laughs> three bronze. <laughs> He coached, <laughs> he coached 125 games. Yeah. He said that. It was the most he's ever coached. What is that? Also, stick taps to Donnie. He played his last uh, tournament game. Yeah, yeah. I think, so he, he played 35. He played 35s with Sap and them. And I was talking to him just the day before, like the day before playoffs for for them. And, I was, and he's just like, I'm probably done playing in tournaments after this simply because he enjoys coaching way too much. And at the end of and his division's always at the end of a tournament. So he's already been there for a week and a half just coaching his ass off until his division actually hits. He's like, I'm always gassed whenever it gets to this point. So like I'm probably just I'm probably done with tourneys, but I'll still play men's. I'm just gonna coach. So like, fucking enough. legend. Yep. So I had I had pop out for his last tilt and they, uh, not a, you know, they lost like four cob to car shield or whatever. He he played he played good. I mean, there's like three. He's of the like, ah, oh, like, it's terrible. <laughs> it's literally what he said. I was like, the second one you fell. That's the only one we're gonna talk about to get back. The other well, one. Oh, and I mean, from a goaltending perspective, let's look at the let's look at the goals for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's squad. what I told him. I was just like, shit when you don't score. Exactly, they didn't score, so who cares? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you could have gave up a fucking nuke, it one cob L, you still would have lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, man. Anyways, Sammy touched on it at the at the top. Fuck, is Dave Grohl electric in person? Let me tell you that for free. <laughs> I mean, was that not the craziest shit you've well, ever seen? I think the best part for me, obviously, so Foo Fighters were in town last night. Me and Sammy were there. Taylor Hawkins hops off the drum set to cover uh, somebody to love by queen he's singing oh fuck dave Grohl. ever heard of him he also drum uh lead the drummer in nirvana he hops on drums boom right after he goes how the fuck are we gonna top that motherfucker straight into all my life let's go 
Oh, <laughs> that was dynamic. And I say my brain is melted. I mean, like literally, my brain is melted. I threw up this morning, and it was it was ugly. You're kidding? No, dude, I'm not kidding. Scotty told me he went to work this morning and threw up twice when they when him and Big Scott were picking up breakfast from Whitey's. He was just sticking his head out the window and just ralphing. You everywhere. guys were that hung? Oh my god! Oh yeah, I, I oh we were turned up. Well, That's fucking Scotty says to me when we pull up. Literally less than five minutes of being there, he looks at you and then looks at your dad. He goes, yeah, I got a feeling I'll be the one driving home tonight. Which just wasn't the case. He was actually sitting in the back. I got shoddy. Big Scott behind the wheel, eh? Oh, yeah. You guys got out of there early. That parking situation so fucked. Well, we parked in the back. That's why. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> we had a haul of a walk, but we were out in five minutes, so. Yeah. Anyways, Boot Fighters, absolutely electric. Um, I mean, if you can't relate to that, unsubscribe to the podcast. Speaking of subscribing to the podcast, let's pick up pucks. <laughs> I have Jaden Schwartz written down here. Not that he didn't do anything wrong, but hey, just shows time. you're fucking replaceable. Yeah, that and hey, you know, it's your last skate with it. Pick him up. There you he, go. Uh, I mean. Good for him. Got the money from Seattle. Obviously, they were going to always pay up for uh, for the good players. Obviously, being starting with no cap space, uh, really. Or no cap. Fuck, you know what I'm trying to say. So much cap space. Anyways, uh, this is probably our last pod for a minute. Obviously, there's really, hopefully, nothing going on between. It's August 4th. Uh, I mean, the season doesn't start for a couple, couple months. I do know that the... I think some of the prospects are heading up to Traverse City to play in that tourney. They're doing that this year. They didn't do that last year. And then really the only other thing we're waiting on, I think, is uh, Robert Thomas to sign, get him in the fold, and uh, move that 91 character. So, uh, Yeah, we've talked about the 91 Do we think that's going to happen anytime soon, by the way? I, I, I honestly don't think it's going to. I don't either. It's going to take a little bit. But, I mean, there is a bit of a bidding war going on, apparently, between those East Coast guys. So. Yeah, Devils, Islanders, Rangers are the yep. three mentioned. Rangers, Islanders more heavily, but... Keep know. holding out, and the offers only get better, in my opinion. Yeah, do I mean... Know? Do I know? No, because I'm not a GM, but... At the, at the end of the day, that like could be... Make sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, we say that, and then, you know, uh, in reality, they're like, fuck, we ain't giving you more than a sixth. And you Doug's need to like, them. fine, I'm just sitting here then. <laughs> yeah. That desperation will happen. Same thing with the Eichel situation. I mean, they're in the same exact position. It's so neither bad. Player, neither player will be there to start the year. I no, and almost it, guarantee it, that. Yeah. So Situations are just way past res, uh, resolution. There's just no way they will play hockey there. That, whether or not they are on another team or they just won't play. Yeah. All right, well. Normally, during a season, Mark, when can you listen to us? Normally, you can listen to us on a Thursday. Uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can find us. There's a lot of them. So, it, 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 I mean a lot of them. If you just search the podcast, you could find us on podcast.us. I don't even know if that exists, but it's probably there. But, uh, but yeah, that's where we're at. Sammy K, any uh, final words coming off uh, pretty decent uh, last few days? I don't really have anything in particular, but I will try to spark a little discussion here since we have some time. Are we going to do anything about this fucking decor? Because last year we didn't know how to clear people in front, out of the front of our net, 
and that seemed to be the biggest fucking issue. And okay. I don't know if we're, if we're having like some sort of John Mosellock. We're gonna we're gonna figure out uh, internally in placements internally <laughs> in our organization. I don't know if that's what what we're gonna try to do, but I don't know. What do you if mean this the, is gonna suffice? The big boy Scott Prunovich. Oh my bad. <laughs> <laughs> The ultimate net net front presence. My bad. No, uh, a lot of Blues fans are intrigued by the idea of getting uh, Big Zidane Chara in the fold. I am I not. Don't want to do that. I'm in. I'm fucking in. I don't know how <laughs> you guys aren't in. It sounds so sick. Just to say we have. I just, dude. I feel like I granted. I didn't watch every Caps game last year, but I felt like he was an absolute liability. I'd just there. rather have Nico play. Like, I don't know. Give that kid more minutes. The Blues have been missing a guy that just puts the fear of God into other teams. And like, yeah, if, you, if you have him and he's on the ice, like, you're he's not like 44 and people are still just absolutely terrified of him. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you be? He's literally the biggest guy ever to put on skates. <laughs> and he piss pumps anybody when they actually yeah. fight it. Still, it's like, Jesus Christ. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, look. Now, if we go out and make the deal, you know, one year, you know, mil, mil and a half, and he plays, you know, 50, 60 games for you, you know, obviously he's a, a presence and he's going to change the look of that decor, obviously. But I don't know. I think I think you got to give your Jake Wallmans and your Nico Mikolas. Dude, people, I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world height-wise, but he's thick. I mean... He's going to have to, obviously, you know, the whole decor as a whole is going to have to make some changes in how they play this coming year. But don't sleep on Jake Wallman. That's where I'm at. Uh, I think this guy. You like should... Jake Wallman. This is a Jake Wallman podcast. I like Nico, too. Nico's a real good skater. Uh, I think he's kind of a pussy. But, hey, uh, we'll see. When I say pussy, he just doesn't play. A... Doesn't play as mean as you want him to. Yeah. Kind of like Pareko. It's like, Jesus Christ, bud. You have all the size in the world, and you're like, there's so much left to be to be had there. So, I don't know. But, anyways, I think that'll do it for this week and probably for a little while here until, I guess, 91 gets traded or somehow we pull a, a big signing out of our ass or trade, which I don't see coming. But uh, until then, have a fucking great next few months. It's off-season time. Let's watch the uh, the Cardinals uh, finish below 500. Let's get the fuck out of here.